Hello, hello, and welcome to Delvecast. I'm your host, Scott Malthouse. Um, right, well, uh, I'm, I'm back again, again, trying to keep up. Um, I know I've missed a couple of weeks, but these these episodes are going to be fairly sporadic. I'm not I've not got a specific um, date or time that I'm going to be putting stuff up. Just when I get the chance to, um, I'm I'm pretty busy uh, at the moment or in in general. So I'm I'm trying to fit them into my red, regular schedule, which has to fit in a a full day job and then at night when I'm I'm writing <laughs> and doing my game design work. So um, yeah, no, that's uh, good. And uh, yeah, so today I wanted to talk, talk about a couple of things. First off, um, Romance of the Perilous Land is now out there. Um, it was launched on the 12th of December in the UK. Uh, I believe it's a f- there's going to be some other dates, uh, but I think it's the 24th in the US, potentially Canada, but don't hold me to that. I know that's what they've put on Amazon uh, in the US. And it's I think it's all it's out in January in some parts of Europe as well. Um, but I'm sure if you check with your local gaming store, um, they can uh, pre-order it or order it in for you or let you know when that's actually going to be out. Um, you've been really, really excited about the responses that it's been getting. Um, I was really thrilled to see Tabletop Gaming Magazine cover it uh, and give it a positive review. And also it has appeared in the best games of 2019 year in magazine which is amazing and I, I i you know i never thought that would happen so that's, that's absolutely fantastic um right now if you head over to spike pit uh colin green's podcast he is doing a review a multi-part review of romance um so part one is up uh at the moment and he's inviting people to call in um ask talk about the about the game um i've also called in to give my two pence as well uh, i'm sure i'll be doing that as the series goes on um so yeah i'm, I'm really excited about it it's, you know people have been so nice about about the game they've been saying so so many kind of positive things about it and um i'm really looking forward to seeing people's um play reports and maybe if you're playing over christmas let me know um, I'm at Trollish Delver on Twitter, so just tag me in uh, and let me know how that's going. So yeah, really exciting stuff. I'm really happy about it, um, and I hope that those who have picked it up have a lot of fun with it. It was really great to meet people at Dragon Meet uh, and talk through the game with them, and um, hopefully that you know you'll get the same joy out of the game that i did when i was putting it together um and playing it as i did so um it really is um a passion project for me i'm 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 such a big fan of folklore um particularly british folklore i have been for a long time uh, and of course role-playing games so i wanted to bring those two things together Um, to make something that wasn't necessarily out there um there isn't you know we've we've got pendragon which is amazing we've got you know arthurian games but this this isn't necessarily an arthurian game it's a game that of course has king arthur as a linchpin but um it's ultimately a game that celebrates british folklore 
so yeah let me know how you're getting on there and do go and listen to spike pit so on to the next thing i've started a fourth edition dungeons and dragons game um some of you might have seen i put on uh, my blog trollishdelver.com a an article that was um it became quite popular and quite well shared uh and it was titled dnd 40 a daring triumph of design um and there was a lot of uh there was a lot of talk around it and kind of around the the 4e resurgence that i'm really trying to get off the ground I think that fourth edition, and while it's definitely not my favorite role playing game ever, um, out of Dungeons and Dragons, it's definitely one of my favorite editions. And it took me a while to come to that conclusion. Now, for the record, my favorite edition is the um, BX uh, edition, so the basic expert rules. Um, with the lovely Errol Otis covers. Those are my favorite rules. And um, you may have seen that Gavin Norman of uh, Necrotic Gnome, uh, he has brought up Old School Essentials. And that was part of a Kickstarter. And that is this amazing effort to really collate and clean up the bx rules which i know gavin is a big fan of and it's just it's so good i'm gonna do a full episode on old school essentials because i love it so much i picked it up at dragon meat uh and uh i couldn't wait to get home uh well get home get back to my hotel room and just just read through it as much as i could but Oh, it's it's wonderful. I mean, I, I I like using the the BX rules, the 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 TSR BX rules. But I think that if I'm going to be running a BX game, it's going to be with old school essentials. It is such a lovely book and great rules clarifications as well. Um, so BX is my favorite version of Dungeons and Dragons, and I've played third edition uh, and 3.5 i came in on third edition 3.5 in part on third edition and in part um i came in right at the back end of second edition as well so i played some second edition uh very limited i i played some second edition and that was that was really interesting um, and I do want to really take a deep dive into into first and second edition, but I I played a lot of third edition when I first got into Dungeons and Dragons three point five. Fourth edition for me is a tightly designed game with a vision and a purpose. And what I argue in the article that I've written is while 4e is really maligned in some cases and actually it's funny because when i when i wrote this uh, and i put it out i thought oh i'm gonna get so many comments saying why are you even bothering defending this because there's this there's this um thought that 
Fourie, you know, D&D players just don't like fourth edition. And actually, that's not true. I found so many um, players who have the same thoughts and feelings about the game as, as I do. A lot of them. Um, surprising amount, actually. And I think that maybe the kind of the, the hate uh, and the ferocity uh, that that Fory kind of encountered was maybe a, a minority of of gamers who didn't necessarily like what they were doing from three. But what I'm arguing in this article is that this is a a design with vision that the designers. Um, uh, Heinsu uh, uh, and and Perkins and any everyone else who worked on this game really took really sat back and thought about what how to make this a really um, accessible game to run at the table and what happened because of this is you've got a game that's almost designed in building blocks. Now, what I mean here is that everything is really tight. Everything is, the rules aren't particularly ambiguous in general. They are specific and they don't leave a lot of room for interpretation. And for a newcomer coming in to the to to Dungeons and Dragons to to role playing games, that is really valuable to know exactly where you stand with a power with a certain rule, and I think they stripped a lot of the um, bloat that was found in three point five and third edition in terms of core rules. I don't mean in terms of the splat books and editions, which of course there were lots of with fourth edition. But I mean with the core rules, it is relatively simple. And it makes every character feel feel like a hero uh, and that everyone has something to contribute. And, and the thing that I think they really got right in fourth edition was the feedback loop. So when we're playing a a combat encounter in a role-playing game, the combat encounter kind of encapsulates this um, this very structured mechanic. So you have feedback from the from the GM on um, what's happening on that battlefield, how a uh, a creature is moving, where they're moving how they're attacking, what damage that's doing. And that goes back and forth between the player characters in a very structured way. And because of that combat is, it's relatively simple, isn't it? You have a back and forth, you know where you stand, you have an initiative order, and you know what kind of powers to use. It's a very simple um, mechanism, although... I mean that in a very general sense. I know that in fourth edition, um, it very much towards the end in kind of epic tier when you're going between levels 20 to 30, 
um, the game could get very, very bloated. And I played an, uh, an epic campaign. I, paid, I played a, a, uh, I ran a campaign from first level to I think twenty seventh level, um, and you could definitely see that as as kind of we approach that end tier there. But it's so tightly designed, and you have these roles, these uh, controller and striker, leader, defender. Now, there was obviously a reaction to this, and people very commonly saying, well, this is this is video game parlance. You can't bring video game parlance into Dungeons and Dragons. And to that I say, why not? For me, this simplifies things for people. If I know that I have a um, a striker and a defender and a controller and a um, a leader, then I know that I have in my team. I have all co- bases covered, and it's very easy then to choose classes and say okay, well, I'm going to go with this class because this is a leader class. And actually, this is what we need um, in our in our team. Now, of course, there are lots of different types of leaders. And of course, you have hybrids of people between leaders and defenders or controllers and uh, strikers, for example. But I think actually giving those, um, giving those roles while it's definitely gamist and it, and it, and by the way it should be gamist because tabletop role playing games are games <laughs> and i think that really clarifies things when you're bringing um you when you're bringing you know the game to the table everything slots together very well of course encounters um are so easy to build in fourth edition the XP values are so simple for a GM to to pull together um, a an encounter that's going to be, you know, it's going to be right, or it's going to be hard, or it's going to be super difficult, or it's going to be fairly easy for a, for your group. Now, with that design, with that feedback loop that you have in combat encounters. What the designers really tried to do was put that feedback loop in every other aspect of the game. Now, if you think about if you're playing, um, you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, and you're playing Third Edition, for example, everything outside of those combat encounters is fairly freewheeling. It's fairly organic. People don't have their own turns that they take if they're talking to a duke and they're trying to win favor in order to get um, a retinue of soldiers from them to help fight the orcs that have taken over taken over a local village. Well, that is a very organic thing that you do in an, another edition of of D anD. d you might have the kind of the face person who is, is doing all the talking and you might have some skill roles along with that. That's fine. That is, that's good. Uh, and that's a good way to play. What fourth edition did was it brought that feedback loop into that area. The, 
the the role playing area and the exploration area and they did that in part with skill challenges skill challenges for me i really i really like them and they did not do a particularly good job of helping us understand what skill challenges were when the game first came out you have a list of primary skills and you have a list of how that the players can use them but these are all gm facing so when you're reading a skill challenge you almost you're reading it and you're thinking well do i tell them what they need to do and if i do that is that just making it into a fighting fantasy game book that they're choosing their own adventure in that way should are they second guessing what i've got on my list here how does that work and i think when it first came out it was it was a half baked idea it was a good idea but it was half baked in the way that it was approached and it really took um the dungeon master's guide to and some dungeon um kind of ddi dungeon magazines so you know the ones that appeared on dungeons and dragons insider it really took those to hone what the skill challenges were and weren't and to really give gems the the best toolkit to to run them and different kinds of ways to run them and actually it's a really good idea because it means that even when you're in exploration mode or if you're trying to uh, i don't know the the party's trying to flee from someone in the in the streets in the dark streets or that you've got this huge boss fight with a massive uh, god and you're trying to take him down so if you think of like god of war style and this is of course coming back to the video game analogy but it's a good one that you've got these huge creatures and you're you might be running up its arm and you're trying to lop it you know uh hit it in the eye and backflip off of it and you've got um, uh, an arcanist who's trying to understand trying to um get rid of the wards that it has around its hands that it's able to cast fireballs from or whatever it gives a structure that is very much like combat but it it approaches that in a very um action oriented way so it means that you can be traveling you could hold you, you could have in your adventure as a gm you could have in your adventure a um a part of the of the adventure where the players are just wandering through the environment they're they're going from a to b they're going from town to city and they're going through a forest or they're going through a lake or whatever and you can then model a skill challenge around that that journey because journeys are notoriously difficult to to do in D &D, um without you know being fairly boring and just saying well yeah you travel across the plane and you come across a merchant that's traveling and yeah what do you do that kind of thing it it, it makes it very um i think dynamic and very player focused and i really like that about skill challenges and i think that is very much 
where the designers were wanting to go they were they were they were looking at well how do we how do we make how do we get the excitement of combat into every other area now people didn't like that of course they didn't it's like i'm not saying everyone didn't like that but you know a group of people did not like the way that 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 um that happened but then again you don't need to use skill challenges you could just use whatever whatever you want um the organic way if you if you like um and there's uh, I, I and and i argue in this in this article that yes it's action oriented and it's combat oriented and a lot of your powers have to do with combat they do but at the same time, that is a big part of what D&D has kind of always been. It's been about combat, because combat is exciting. Um, and they really took that part of it that people really liked and was a core part of D&D, and they, they structured it, and they twisted some knobs, and they put in some new spark plugs and they they found the groove um somewhat so i am slowly building up my collection of fauri books i i have because i ran a campaign a long time ago now i ran a campaign um when fauri first came out and i had the kind of the core rules but now i'm building that up and i'm running um a, a campaign with people from all around the world, <laughs> which is great. Um, it's difficult to schedule time zones and things like that, but it's yeah, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm running uh, a campaign at the moment between levels one and six, and if we're we're all really enjoying it and we can manage to get to the table every time, roll twenty, then we might look to to carry on. So. Um, I've, I'm scouring eBay at the moment to find some good deals on Fauri books. Um, I've just had another one delivered, which is Primal Power. Um, and I have just also ordered the Eberron campaign guide, because I've also got the Eberron player's guide. Um, because I'm such a hipster, of course, I'm going to be getting the 4E Eberron guide and not the 5E Eberron guide. I don't... So I've I've tried to start this thing online, which is the Fauri Resurgence, which is a bit of a play on words because of healing surges. Um, and it's really good to have these conversations with people who also really enjoy the game. And I think we've had, you know, looking back, you can take things that you like from other games and from 5th edition, you can port that into 4th edition, I think fourth edition has a lot of advantages, really. I, I really do. As I say, it's not my favorite edition, and there are flaws. Of course, there are. Um, as I said before, you know, if you're getting to that epic tier, then that is, you know, it can break um, or at least get very bloated, um, which is what we found. But at the same time, at the kind of towards the end of Fori's lifespan they did try and address quite a few of these things. So if you take Monster Manual 3, for example, the maths uh, in each of those uh, monster stat blocks has been changed. 
They release essentials, um, which again, mixed reviews, but actually the rules compendium is really handy to have. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm slowly building up that 4E library and and if and if anything else, you know, it's good to just take ideas from from these books. You know, the what is it? The plane below, secrets of the elemental chaos. That is such a great book. So it, the the whole book is, as you can imagine, about the elemental chaos. But the stuff that they have in 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 that book is fantastic. Um, you know, and I love the way that they make. It's it's fluff, but it's also workable stuff. So you'll get a lot of fluff around locations and things like that. But you'll you'll get these magic items, and you'll get um, encounter areas and actual encounters that you can put in your game. And this is how you you would run that encounter. Um, it's very plug and play. That's how I like to describe it. It's plug and play. That it's easy or relatively easy for a, a GM to get the game to the table and have people playing it and it's all logical and has structure to it. So that's why I like, you know, 5th edition, I, I I really, I do enjoy 5th edition. Um, you know, I've got the, the core rules and I've played, um, you know, a campaign with 5th edition and I've done some solo stuff with fifth edition, and it's a it's a good game. It is because it actually that fifth edition takes me back to, I say takes me back. It reminds me of BX almost. The issues that I have with fifth edition is that while it's a good game, I can't think of what it does really, really well. And that's not a slight on it, because I think this is kind of a common thought, is that 5th edition is a best-of album, right? It has the cool stuff that you really liked from AD&D, uh, or that you really liked from 3rd um, edition and 4th edition as well. And it took these greatest hits, some of the greatest hits, and it put them all into an edition that tries to really please everyone. And it does a very good job of that. It's getting new people into the game. Um, obviously, the number of podcasts and streams and all of that has exploded in recent years, in part due to 5th edition. What it doesn't do for me is it doesn't feel like it has that very specific laser-focused design that 4th edition had. I think people complain about 4th edition, but really, they did really think about what they wanted to do with the game and what they wanted to get out of the game and that's why it's so different to anything that came before it and of course you could argue that that's not Dungeons and Dragons and that's fine 
that might not be your flavor of D&D, but of course it is some people's flavor of D&D. The people who may have begun with 4E, that might be their flavor of, of D&D. The people who started with Load and Reload, Metallica's albums after the Black album, the self-titled, they might really like Load and Reload um, as much as or more than their earlier albums. While you have a lot of Metallica fans who only swear by Ride the Lightning or Master of Puppets or Justice. It's the same thing. There's, there's a kind of a brand loyalty there, and it's a different direction. And I think with 5th edition, the direction is kind of everywhere. And it goes back to that, you know, you've got rules, ambiguity, and you've got things that don't, don't make it as easy to get to the table as Fori. If you're creating an encounter, uh, a combat encounter, it's not that easy to create one that is balanced. Now, I'm not a huge fan of balance anyway, but a lot of people are, and they want to do that, and they want to create something that they know they can tweak and make sure that it's slightly too difficult for their players or that it's just right or a little bit easier. And it's taken a lot of the stuff that I think was really innovative with 4E. And again, this is not a slide on 5E. I think what 5E has done um, has been has been good for the brand itself. Of course, I still have concerns about its hold in the marketplace, and there's there's a bigger conversation to be had, and that is currently being had on Twitter and other social media about the D centric nature of the tabletop role-playing hobby right now um but yeah i'm gonna leave it there now i've i've been rambling on for quite a long time this is probably the longest episode i've done so far um as always if you have any thoughts about 4th edition or whatever edition of Dungeons & Dragons or anything that I've been talking about this episode, maybe Romance of the Perilous Land, call in, let me know, and I'll play your recording on the an upcoming episode. But until then, I hope you all have a fantastic Yule Christmas whatever you're celebrating and and I'll and I'll likely see you in the new year I'm saying that I might record one before then actually it's a little little new year's treat okay take it easy all see ya